Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is It's Not About Food podcast. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I'm happy to be talking today about observation and what that concept is, especially as far as recovery and disordered eating, body hatred, or just like how do we step into that observation part of us in order to heal the things that we want to heal or to know what we're doing or if we want to change what we're doing. So the card at the front is the goddess is sitting on the ground cross-legged next to a little hill. She has a piece of paper that she's writing on like maybe doing a journal. And her dear animal is looking over the paper, looking at what she's doing. It's a beautiful card, has a lot of nature and the sunset in the background. And what it says is, observation is the ability to observe and question our behaviors. When we can do this with a sense of detachment, curiosity, and no judgment, like a scientist, we can then be safe enough to see our true behaviors. Only by seeing ourselves as clearly and honestly as possible can we start to understand our behaviors. So I think about this card when I think about my clients who are really upset with the way that they handle stuff. And I say, what if you had a idea that you were just watching what you were doing in a loving, kind, non-judgmental way. So for instance, I used the experience of when I was younger of going and talking on the phone to my mother and the other hand is in the cupboards looking for cookies. And then I hang up the phone from my mom and I stop eating the cookies. So does this mean that I just always want cookies when I talk to my mom? No, something that we're saying is upsetting me. And as I'm calming myself down without screaming, what the hell, mom? I am stuffing (laughs) cookies in my mouth. So isn't that interesting? Does that mean cookies and mom together big explosion? Or does that mean, huh, maybe I need to have a sense of detachment and curiosity and no judgment? And how do I put down a different boundary other than stuffing cookies in my mouth? That's a boundary, but how do I get a better boundary? So that's what is so great about observation. And as somebody who was recovering for many years from an eating disorder, I did not want to look I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to know it. I didn't want to deal with it. And I didn't know how to look or deal or think about it. So I just would get overwhelmed and soaked with my own feelings. And I had to learn how to have my feelings and go through them and be okay with them when some of them were pretty tough. So that was therein lies the recovery was how to have that observation part of us and not get 
stuck or overwhelmed with the stuff that's inside of us. That's there anyway. So we might as well make friends with it and look at it and hang out with it and put our arm around it. So I have a great person coming to talk about observation today who is a good friend of my good friend, and I'm so happy that she's here. And I will let her introduce herself and say what's going on with her and what up, what she's doing. So go ahead, take it away. Thanks, Laura Lee. My name is Jasmine Smith. I am a lot of things. <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of labels and I've moved them all and, and taken myself out of the box. Yeah. A lot of titles. I worked in the medical field as a medical assistant for 10 years in OBGYN most most of my time with women. I'm also a certified yoga teacher certified therapeutic hypnosis practitioner. I'm also certified in Reiki. I spent many years in the medical field only looking at things from one view, really looking at the scientific, the evidence-based, the, you know, treat them, treat the body, treat the symptom. And then through my own disease in my own life and my own exploration of self, landed in meditation. And my meditation teacher taught next to a hypnotherapy school. And one day I walked in and said, what is this? What is this thing? And I was mind blown to say the least. I didn't have, even after having a degree in biology and health science in in college, I graduated with a degree and then working in the medical field for 10 years, I really had no idea we treated the mind and body so separately. I thought this was what was happening, but I've never heard anyone actually admit it. (laughs) It was mind boggling to me to understand how our thoughts and eventually over time, how I understood our our feeling, the sensation, the somatics in our body affect our moment to moment existence and how we live and how we be and and all the things that cause us suffering or cause us discomfort or pain or sorrow. It blew my mind. So I took a hard left turn and and left the medical field and, and jumped into all those other aspects of holistic health and healing and wellness. And now, yeah, I couple all of those together and I coach people one-on-one through mindfulness and unconscious uncovering the unconscious, which I know you do a lot of work. So I'm so happy to be sitting here with you. I'm so happy to know you and how great of a left turn that was for you, not only for you as a person and your soul and body, mind, and spirit, but also for the people that you meet and who you work with now. I wonder how it would be different if we were taught that we were body, mind, and spirit instead of the body is something to be controlled or the mind is something to be controlled and who the hell even knows what the spirit's doing, you know? And (laughs) I mean, it just seems to me, how much greater would it be if we could remember that we're all of that? Yeah. I always say we're multi-layered beings. We're emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, all of, I think of quote in Shrek, the movie where he says, it's like, we're like an onion, there's layers. And that's how we are. And unfortunately in our society, we're taught address one thing, but don't go to the root of the problem or I have a stomach ache or I have this thing and I don't want to, my emotions, my feelings. Oh no, I don't have time for that. That's not important. That has nothing to do with it. When in fact, it has everything to do with it. I think the first time that actual a doctor in Marin County, he is a medical doctor, but he has an alternative sort of practice. And I came in for like yet another stomach ache. And he said, what do you think is going on? (laughs) I was like, I don't know. That's why I'm here talking to you. And he goes, 
Yeah, but I've only been seeing you for less than a minute. So you've been with yourself as long as you've been alive. And I feel like that was one of maybe the first times when I actually said, what is going on with me? And I could remember back to having the same kind of stomach ache since I was a little tiny kid. Anyway, so it was a big eye opener for me and somebody else outside of me taught me to observe the inside of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's beautiful to have that experience, especially from a physician who is saying, you have wisdom inside of you. As much wisdom as I have of textbook and knowledge and skill, you are innately observant of what's going on with you more than I am because you've been with yourself for however many years you've been with yourself at this point. And he might be retired now, but he was my doctor for a very long time. And since I've had to get different doctors, that's the kind of doctor that I go to. I'll ask these questions to a new doctor. And if they can't answer them, if they don't see me as body, mind, and spirit, then there's no use for me to even go there. There's a wonderful book called God's Hotel. Did you ever read that book? It's about the hospital Laguna, which has really ill people living there. And this woman writes the book as if she thought of everybody in the hospital as a body, mind, and spirit. What do they need really? Sure, they're very ill and they may need really severe treatments, but what do they need? What kind of music do they need in their room? What does their sheet need to feel like? How about instead of a hospital gown, how about they get to bring a nightgown from home that they love or just was a whole different way of looking at stuff? Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. I think that two things are coming to mind. We'll take both directions. First thing is you mentioned when you gave the example of speaking to your mother on the phone and reaching for the cookies. And one, it's the unconscious pattern or the habit of doing the thing. And the cookies provide a sensation, right? A feeling inside of your body that feels safe or good, or I don't know, you, you tell me, it's not my body, I can't say. And that's the thing about sensations, right? They're individual to each unique person because they're an internal experience inside of your body. And that's a feeling. And we're all seeking to fill a feeling, whether that's loved or worthy or whole or good enough. And so sometimes we do the unconscious things like reach for the cookies because we're in a triggered response or we're in a high nervous system, our nervous system's on edge. And so we're like, if I eat the cookies, at least my nervous system will come down a little bit. Yeah. Or like I said, for me would be about shutting myself up. So I'm getting nervous about what my mother is saying and bless her. She's been dead for many years. And, you know, we had a lot of healing at the last part of her life. But at that time that I didn't want to hear what she had to say, and I certainly didn't want to answer the way that I wanted to answer. So the cookies were a way of saying, shut up, Laura Lee, don't make this worse. That's what I observed at that time. Yeah. And the other thing that I was thinking is this observation piece comes, it requires a essence of open-mindedness and beginner, like I'm a student of my existence. That's right. That beginner my life. mind. Exactly. And I think when I stumbled upon hypnotherapy and meditation after being in the science world for so long, I had to go, I could have said, this is a bunch of hocus pocus and I don't believe in any of this, but I said, huh. This is so interesting. I couldn't turn away from it. I had to question it and I had to have an open mind and observe what are the things that I believe to be true and why do I believe them to be true? Because somebody told them to be true. That's right. It's like, who told you this and does it serve you? Like I can remember being 
deathly afraid of snakes until I realized that an adult in my life was scared of snakes. I wasn't scared of snakes. I was scared of snakes because they were. And then, not that I love snakes so much, but I could drop that fear. I don't have to have a fear of something that somebody else gave me. Absolutely. So many of our thoughts and our understandings and our fears, they're not ours. They're from society. They're from school. They're from parents or from teachers or from uninformed cousins and friends and people that just weren't aware. I work with people who have severe body hatred. And where do you think you got that from? And if you really follow that golden thread all the way back, there'll be somebody somewhere they got shamed or they heard somebody else get shamed or they heard their loved ones say something terrible about their body. We're little tiny sponges when we're little. We'll just soak everything up. And what's great is at some point, and hopefully we can teach young girls how to do it, young boys how to do it. Observe what's going on with you before it becomes the thing that you always do or think or feel. Like, go ahead and is this really true for you? What do you think? Yeah, like you said, I think this gentle, curious, non-judgmental observer, I'm a student and I'm learning to understand myself and the way my brain works. You know, we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. We can't catch them all. There's some are going to slip by. (laughs) And 90% of the time they're in an unconscious loop that we're not aware of. So the skill of observation, it is a muscle to be strengthened, to be trained. And you can strengthen and train it like any other muscle that you're not going to go run a marathon the first day. You're not going to run 26.2 miles on the first day. You're going to run like a little cup of training schedule. You're going to run like 1.2 miles. That's where you start. If that. And what's great about what you just said is like, we can learn, we can unlearn and we can relearn all kinds of stuff because our Minds are phenomenal. That kind of thought process going through there all the time. No wonder we're so tired at the end of the day. (laughs) Yes. And just speaking to that, the brain's beautiful. And we used to think that I like to describe neural pathways in the brain like rivers. And we used to think that the rivers were the rivers and they never move. And that's not true. We've learned that there's neuroplasticity and the brain can change, but it takes practice. And it's like the first time water go down a little new pathway, it's not a river and it's not rutted. It's just a tiny little trickle. And so every time you practice that new thought or that new observation or that curiosity, it's going to feel like you hit a speed bump or the water's moving really slow until that new pathway has been solidified and, and, and it can run like a stream. And then all of a sudden it's river and the other old pathway doesn't exist anymore in the same I way just, that it used to. I just love this. It's so true. It's when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail until you get a different tool. And that's exactly what that is. Knowing that your thoughts can change. I'll just use myself as an example. I was so terrified of being overweight, over whose weight, I didn't even know, but overweight. And so I almost took myself to the brink of destruction to kill myself with not eating. I didn't really realize that's what I was doing because I wasn't observant and I wasn't aware, didn't want to be aware, didn't want to be observant because I wanted to be on the path I was on, the little trickle, that was the river I was used to. And then to stop that and go a different way of, well, maybe I can eat more than I am. Maybe I even should eat more than I am. Maybe I don't have to die of an eating disorder. Maybe I can be whatever size my body wants to be. Maybe that can happen. It didn't feel very good at first. It felt like I was not doing right, but eventually that was the place to be. 
it's wildly uncomfortable to go against your unconscious patterns. Wildly uncomfortable. It feels so foreign. So when I'll give you an example for me of the first time that I questioned with observation, a belief that was not mine, but I picked up as my own. I was in high school and I had this belief that I was a I was called that as a young child from family right. members, from it was just some word that was thrown around in my household. And I believed that I was a that's just what I believed. I remember in fourth grade, in fourth grade, having a mantra, which of course I didn't know at the time was a mantra, if I can remember it. It's a female dog's bark is part of a tree, trees are part of nature. Thanks for the compliment. Oh my gosh. It was so ingrained by that point that I just believed that who was who I was. And that's how I acted. And it was a protection mechanism. That was my crutch. That was my cookie. And so I would be mean to you before you could be mean to me because I didn't want you to hurt me. I didn't want to feel bad. So by the time I got to high school, it was part of who I believed myself to be my identity. And I remember being in a fight with my high school boyfriend when we were driving in a car. And this was before cell phones and all the things. And we were fighting and he said, God, you're such a... And I said, I know, I am. You either love me or hate me. That's really what I believe. And we continue to argue. And I finally said, I'm out. I'm, I got out of the car in some neighborhood I didn't know before cell phones existed. And I was walking down the street and I kept saying to myself, so I'm a... So what? And then it was like some thought dropped into my head of, out of the clear blue sky. And I was like, but what if I'm not a... And I was like, what? It was the most uncomfortable. If I'm not, then what am I? Who am I? How do I exist in the world if I'm not this thing? Or if this isn't part of my story, then what is my story? Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee. And this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Exactly. Or even do I have a story? And can the story change? To me, this is your spirit like said, okay, cookie, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to believe this anymore. This is not who we are. Yeah. And now I look back and I go, oh yeah, that was a divine intervention moment of touch on your shoulder this story. Yeah. This isn't serving you anymore. And this isn't who you are. It's something you believe to be something you've picked up, something someone told you and you took on as your own. So let's uncover, let's peel back the layers of who you are and how you desire to be in the world. It's so exciting when people do that, or you get to witness that and you get to see it yourself, like something I've held for a long time. And I go, wait a minute, maybe that's not even true anymore. Or even if it was, we're, I don't know, magical creatures, all of us, and even the worst of us is we can come up with something. So I love to go to AA so much is because I can be sitting next to somebody that I would never talk to in the real world. We wouldn't even be in the same room or our paths would never cross. But yet they're, say, the most profound thing that I keep as a little golden nugget in my heart forever. It's always just great. And I love those moments. Yeah. And working with clients, I feel like I get those moments of behind the scenes so often. And I'm so honored and humbled to be on the journey with someone as they uncover who they really are. It's so true. When you work with your clients and you're trying to gently guide them towards observation, 
What is some tricks that you have or what is some ways that you do that? One of the things I'll ask is when you are in a thought and a feeling, I'll say, can you locate the feeling in your body? Where is it? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your chest? Are your hands clenched? Are you hunched over? See if you can find it in your body and then be with it for just a moment. Acknowledge it, recognize that it's there, observe it. And then can you, with curiosity, question, I wonder when the first time I remember feeling this feeling. Right. And then always the question of, and then what? And now what? I could not change my behavior. So, you know, I already said I was in AA. So until I actually saw what I was doing with alcohol, I could not change my behavior because before that, I just thought that everybody else, they were the problem. They didn't see like, this is my thing. I want to do it. And just you're, I'm a, and that's the way it is. I could not change that until I saw it, saw it clearly without judgment, with actually a lot of compassion and love. And then I was able to change it. Oh, so you mean I can just not drink? What a concept that was. I had no idea. Right, and there's part of that wisdom is saying, oh, so there's this thing that I believe or this habit or behavior. And just the awareness of it can be so off-putting and jarring that sometimes the most wise thing to do is say, I see you. You're here. You're welcome here. You're allowed to be here. Hey, anxiety. Hey, fear. Hi, shame. Oh, God, there you are. You're so familiar. You're allowed to be here. And thank you for keeping me safe or trying to protect me or whatever it is that you've always done for me. Thank you. But I'm here and I'm aware of you now. Yeah. It's like I say to people, put your arm around that part that you hate the most and go, what up? What's your story, Morning Glory? I have people tell me, I just don't want the problem anymore. Unless you're going to get a lobotomy, here it is. These are your (laughs) thoughts. Yeah. The old (laughs) saying, what we resist persists. Yeah. It's true because even in the resistance of it, we're giving it energy, thought, consciousness, power. So by saying, I don't want to think about this. I want to ignore it. We're not ignoring it. No, don't think about an elephant. But I feel like, why don't we just go ahead and accept it? Pardon me. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't really understand why I think like that. But put your arm around it and go, what can we do? How can we work this out? How can we live together in this one glorious, fabulous human? How can we do that? Yeah, it's beautiful. And it starts so not beating yourself up about it, not shaming yourself. Just just saying one tiny thing. One tiny thing. One tiny thing. And in that tiny morsel of, that's a huge change. Somatically in your body, neuro, what's the word? Neurologically in your, Uh yeah, the neural pathway in your brain. That's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. Which is why it feels so awful because I tell my clients, if you are talking on the phone to your mother and you're going to reach for the cookies and you don't, instead you just go into a different room and sit down and just bring yourself into presence and just talk to your mom, however way, it's going to feel like you set your hair on fire. It's not going to feel (laughs) until the hundred millionth time you do it and then it'll be okay. Absolutely. 
And you mentioned this earlier, the boundary of bringing yourself into another room, sitting down, coming into your breath, noticing your feet on the ground, bringing your body and your mind together. How can I bring my body and my mind together? I feel my feet on the ground, drawing in a big breath. And then if you're in that conversation with your mother and you're saying all of a sudden you're noticing, you've observed that you've reached some place that you don't want to be anymore. All you have to say is, I'm complete with this conversation for this moment. Can we continue it tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Gotta go. Bird just flew into the window. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, looks like it's having a heart attack. Right. <laughs> now that we have cell phones, we can go, oh, I've lost you. <laughs> can you hear me? I can't hear you. Are you there? Can you, can- <laughs> it's so true. But the boundary is set before that by you coming into yes. consciousness at some point. Yes. And this was what started it for me. It was the observation. It was sitting in meditation and going, holy moly, I have a lot of thoughts. And I'm really (laughs) curious about where all these thoughts came from, where they're coming from. Why do I keep having these same thoughts over and over? They're looped and they're patterned and they're ingrained in the brain. And we can change that. We can change that. And like I said, myself included, so many of my clients coming to me, they're still, well, I want to lose weight. I realize I have an eating disorder, but I want to lose weight. Uh, so I need to go on a diet to lose weight. No, if we need to change that whole pattern. What if the weight you are is okay? No, that can never be. But just say like it is. Okay. And diets don't work. Well, that's the only thing. That's the only way I'm going to lose weight. So we just go into a big circle. It's like, well, let's go completely away from all of that and go to who you are as a person. What does your body do for you? What are your hopes and dreams? You have one little life. You want to be on a diet for that whole life? Or you want to have what you want? Let your soul be free. What do you want to do? And when we put it like that, it's, yeah, I guess so. I guess that is so much better than counting points or whatever. (laughs) We get caught in. We get caught in life is short and there's wisdom and beauty and and all around us in nature and in our pets and our animals. And we can use any of those things outside of us to anchor into the moment and go, am I different than this flower in front of me? No. My body is this mystical, magical machine. It's phenomenal, isn't it? It's mind-blowing when you think of all the things that our body does. Again, I'm a science nerd. I was a biology major. Like Your body breathes. You don't think about it. Your body pumps blood. Your bones make calcium. There's so many things happening that you're not like, hey, kidneys, don't forget to flush yourself out today. You are a walking miracle. Right. And we take it all for granted until something goes wrong. And then it's, what? (laughs) Why isn't it working like it normally does? Why isn't the car starting every time? So we have to, I feel like, have a lot of love and understanding and compassion for how great we are. And that is a whole other thing when you hate your body. It's a whole other thing to just at least be grateful that your heart is pumping. Okay, I guess so. Can you be grateful your lungs are breathing? Yeah. So then you just keep doing that until, well, can you be grateful that your body put fat on in order to protect you from something? And just the thing that popped in my head when you said that is one of the things that is so detrimental to to removing fat from our intake is that the brain is the organ that requires the most fat. I know. I know. It's, so we're literally like, oh, I want to change the way I be and change my thoughts, but I'm going to starve my brain of the actual fuel that it needs to make the changes. Yeah. 
I know. And that is never said. Thank you for saying that is never said that, you know, I have clients who I'm going through horrible menopause. It's really terrible. How much fat are you eating? None. Maybe that's why, you know, hormones are stored in the fat. So you just like totally took all your hormones away. They were already going away and now you took them all away. Yeah. (laughs) Way to drive yourself into a spiral. Yeah. We don't ever hear that. We never hear any of this. This doesn't serve Weight Watchers to say this to us or Jenny Craig or forget about it. It doesn't serve those companies to really educate us on how things work. No, it serves them to have us continue to be unconscious, unaware, and keep showing up for the things that are causing us suffering rather than coming into observation and saying, I wonder why I feel this way. I wonder why I think this way. Where was the first time I heard that? When was the first time I felt this? Do I actually believe this to be true or is somebody else's truth that I picked up along the way? That's Or somebody sold me a bill of goods that isn't even real. And it's only when the body rebels and says, no, I'm not starving myself. Thank you very much. I'm not doing it. That we try to smush that body back into the thought or the way and it's resistant and says, no, I'm not going back. I'm not going to jail. I don't want to. Yeah, I won't go. I won't go. (laughs) Anyway, so as a scientist, it sounds like you have this already within you, this sort of scientist thought, if I add this and do this, what will happen? So is that what you're doing with your clients? Do you do that kind of thing? Yeah, it very much feels, and this is where we talked about sensations earlier. Everybody's so unique. We're all so different and we experience things differently. So it is a blended concoction of a tool, handbag of tools that you pick out and get curious about what is it for you and who are you and how do you desire to feel? And some of the things that if I ask a client, like, what does happiness feel like to you? Well, um, a donut. I'm like, well, that's not a feeling. (laughs) That's something outside of you. But if I say, what does sadness feel like to you? Oh, I'm heavy and my stomach hurts and I feel lethargic and my shoulders. You can describe that feeling very quickly because it's familiar and it's what your body knows. So it takes some retraining to retrain the body and know what does happiness feel like inside of your body. One of the examples I often give is that for me, I love the beach. It's my happy place. Having my toes in the sand feels grounding and freeing all at once. And my cousin's husband lives in San Diego, California, near the beach, and he hates the beach. He hates the feeling of sand in his toes. It is like death to him. Wow. It must be like how I feel when I get in snow. It's like, well, I hate all of this. It's wet. It's cold. Too many clothes. (laughs) Yes. So everything feels different to everyone. And this is a shocker. And so this is how happiness may feel different for me than it does for you. That's right. Being satiated or satisfied is going to feel different for me than it does for my husband. We're unique individual beings. And part of it is uncovering all those layers of who we actually are underneath all the conditioning, under all the stories, underneath all the pattern behavior. So yeah, with my clients, we come at it from a lot of different angles. We come at it from the scientific angle, the neuroplasticity, the brain. We come at it from the unconscious. We come at it from the body somatics. And then this is who I am. And these are part of my gifts. We get to throw in a little bit of like spiritual intuitiveness in there. And that's always fun too. A little journey. It's <laughs> yeah, so exactly. beautiful. You have a platform right now and you can say whatever you want to say about what you're doing and anything that you want to promote. 
of your business or where you're going and what you can offer? Sure. Thank you so much. I'm most active on my Instagram. My Instagram is I am the Jasmine Smith. Oh, so there's lots of us, but I'm the only one of me. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, you can find me on Instagram at I am the Jasmine Smith. And then my website where it has lots of my offerings is Soul Perspective 365. Soul Perspective 365 is about this Every idea. If we can come from that elevated perspective of if I could just get 30,000 feet up and out of you know the muck of it, if I could get a bird's eye view from that higher place of my soul, would my soul be like, yeah, you know, your soul's like, you're a beautiful, ethereal being. It's coming into that remembrance every single day. And so I offer one-on-one coaching, mentoring. I work a lot right now with entrepreneurs and how these unconscious somatics work and show up in our business because if we're in a spiral of shame and beating ourselves up, then we're not going to go online and show up. We're not going to post the story or we're not going to post the blog or we're not going to make the podcast because we're going to go, oh, oh, no, I can't even handle this. How could I handle that? Yes, exactly. I love that getting uh, high up enough to be that observer part of us. And it seems to me what you're explaining is the lotus flower. The lotus flower is made in the muck and in the bottom of the pond and then grows up through this really murky, it doesn't know where, but what, and then it opens up at the top into its all its glory, into the beauty of the flower. But it also is still grounded in that muck of the pond. So it didn't untether, it didn't float out into whatever, yeah. it's still <laughs> yes, here on absolutely. earth. And does it every day, because every at day. night it goes back down. There's wisdom in the muck. No kidding. And you do what you do and I do what I do because we spent time in the muck and then we walked through it. We didn't go around it. We didn't go under it. We didn't go over it. We walked through it and out of it. Or take somebody else's. We have our own little stalk, our own little flower. And to me, that is the most powerful part of it. I've heard it so many times since I started doing this work of, I just want to get rid of it. Then you don't get to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guess what? That's we, death. If we were rid of it, you would be exactly. It's, and I believe that we came here on purpose. We were like, we probably were some beautiful, ethereal, blissed out being for a long time. And then we're like, okay, I'm bored. Now, like you could go to earth and have feelings. So let's make a list of all the things that are going to go wrong that I can get yeah. better at. And I'm sure it's like, oh, that sounds like so much fun. Right. I can't wait to go do that. I'm going to be so good at this because you're that blissed out ethereal being. and There is no duality. There is no polarity. And then you come to earth and you're like, wait, I forgot everything. I forgot I made those decisions, <laughs> those choices. I wanted to learn self-love. I forgot it. I wanted to learn boundaries. I forgot I wanted to learn how to deal with money. Yes. <laughs> right. To, to yeah. appreciate my physical body, this meat suit. Yeah. And uh, I saw a great bumper sticker that said, I made a lot of my choices when I was really young and under a lot of stress. But I think that, yeah, that is really great. What you said is that I feel like you're just a really good mirror. This is what I'm hearing. And what do you think? Do you want to go there or go somewhere else? You get to choose. And you're holding the container to do that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's funny that you said that when I was choosing the cards, I was like observation or reflection. Because it feels like to me, that's the gift that I have is I get to hold the container, hold the space, see the places that you maybe can't see because I have that 30,000 foot view. And you're not and them. 
And I'm not them, and so I'm not attached to any of the stories or beliefs. They're not mine. Exactly. So I can say, hey, let's pick up this one and question it a little bit more. And then let's turn it around and look at it from the other angle. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I had no idea. Couldn't see that angle. I wonder if you would read the last part of this card, the today I will practice. Today I will practice observing my thoughts feelings and behavior with a sense of detachment and curiosity. When I find myself doing a behavior I dislike, instead of judging myself, I will say, isn't this interesting? What is my experience? Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? When I can remember to say, wow, that was interesting, (laughs) instead of, wow, that was really effed up. If I can remember to say that, it just changes that energy and makes it into another little lesson that I guess I needed. For me, it shifts my perspective just like that. Isn't that interesting? Where did that come from? Where did I think about that? You hear yourself saying, gosh, I'm becoming my mother. Gosh, I'm becoming my father. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? (laughs) That's like where all these thoughts were implanted in the first place, a lot of them. Exactly. So anyway, Jasmine, thank you so much for being on this show today. And I really love the work that you're doing and so glad that you're out there in the world doing it. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much. 